Take our marriages and let them be beautiful for thee. 1 Peter chapter 2, please. 1 Peter chapter 2. I have preached about marriage many times over the years. There's a very large amount of material on our website about marriage. I want to approach it from yet a different angle this time. We have some good marriages in our church, some great marriages in our church. We have many great women in our church that already practice what I'm going to preach, but I know them, and they would want me to preach this so that they can be better. And I hope that we'll all be better because of it. The sermon that I preached this morning, Are You Saved?, if you want a challenge and criteria for proving that you're saved, well, it's how you're going to treat your spouse the rest of today. So look at that this way. Here are the verses that I want. The sermon is entitled, whatever a title is worth, Froward Spouses. You use the word forward in your conversation, but you don't often use the word froward. So we've got the word froward in these two verses that I'm going to share with you now. 1 Peter 2, verses 18 and 19. Servants, this is the word of the Lord. Servants, be subject to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the froward. For this is thankworthy if a man for conscience toward God endure grief, suffering wrongfully. And I want to stop right there for now. You can define the word forward from this verse because it is said in opposition to the words good and gentle. So, forward is bad and harsh. And sometimes there are husbands that are bad and harsh. And sometimes there are women that are bad and harsh. Or the Bible wouldn't have so many words about odious women. And the Bible wouldn't be telling men not to be bitter against their wives. So they must not be good and gentle all the time. And lest anyone think that I'm picking on one sex and not the other, you're mistaken. I'm going to use the Bible's proportion. And the Bible's proportion is about six to one. The same way it is with the other spheres of authority. Because the Bible doesn't have very much to say about those in authority as much as it does for those under authority. Because the real issue is those under authority, are they going to submit and put up with the one in authority when he's froward? This sermon will be somewhat lighter than the first one, but it's very serious matter. And I'm approaching marriage from a very different angle, and I hope that I can do it in just one sermon and just get us all to think. Let's see. What is my closing line before I get there? All spouses, let's go home and make our calling and election sure by delighting God with our marriage the rest of today. That's where we're headed. That's a big enough challenge for us. We've got 19 things from this morning, but let's just put, it, put those things... Brotherly love, 
Does brotherly love apply in a marriage? Yes, it does, because Paul wrote that marriage is leading about a sister in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. I love this verse. Verse 18 and verse 19. I have used them many times. They are very helpful. I recommend that you know where they are in the Bible and you're able to go to them. So that when someone starts complaining that the one in authority over them is not treating them very well, and that, that excuses their bad attitude, that excuses their criticism of that person. I don't care what sphere of authority, any one of the five spheres of authority God gave us, that they are wrong. That not until you have someone in authority over you that irritates you, offends you, is forward, you can't show God you're a Christian. You can't show God you're a Christian with a good and gentle husband. It's, then you're on vacation if you have a good and gentle husband. You can't show God that you're a great Christian if your boss is good and gentle all the time and just keeps rapidly promoting you and patting you on the back. You can't show you're a Christian. You need a boss that tells you he's going to give you a promotion and then doesn't. And then doesn't. And then says something about you to other employees. And then slights you when you do a project that he takes all the credit for. You need, you need to look for those opportunities and say, Oh, yes. Thank you, Lord, for giving me an opportunity to show you that I'm a Christian. And so every one of you in your marriages, it won't take long. Your spouse is going to give you the opportunity before your head hits the pillow tonight to show that you're a Christian. Oh, yeah. Marriage is kind of intimate and personal, and we can't really get away from each other. She and I are connected for the rest of this day. And you know who's going to have more opportunities to be a Christian. Yes, you do. My wife. And it's not funny. I resent her, and I respect her for it. Forward spouses. Okay, why are you being a late pastor to start? Because uh, just to keep you in balance for the next few minutes. Because I believe these two verses, and I have used them many times with people complaining about government, people complaining about jobs, people complaining about marriage, people complaining about parents, people complaining about pastors, and I have the solution. And the solution is these two verses. You have an opportunity to be a Christian. So get excited about it. Because this is thankworthy if you suffer wrongfully. So when you're suffering wrongfully, you can do it as unto the Lord, and it is evidence of eternal life. Because look at what it goes on to say. For what glory is it? You don't deserve any glory if you can't handle verses 18 and 19. What glory is it if when ye be buffeted for your faults, ye shall take it patiently? That doesn't prove anything. But if when ye do well and suffer for it, ye take it patiently, this is acceptable with God. God likes that when you're doing well and you get punished for it. For even hereunto were ye called. Here we go about eternal life as the sons of God. Because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that ye should follow his steps. Who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. 
who, when he was called a name, I mean, when he was reviled, reviled not again. He didn't call names back. When he suffered, he didn't threaten back, but committed himself to him that judgeth righteously. And I'll stop right there. Jesus gave us an example. Did he suffer wrongfully? He was absolutely flawlessly perfect, and he was condemned. He was called all kinds of names throughout his life and on trial, and he never called names back. He didn't revile back. He didn't threaten. Could he have made a few threats? Could Jesus have made a few threats on trial from the cross? He didn't. So everyone under authority, and I'm talking, everyone under authority needs to take this passage to heart. And I am talking about marriage. I'm not talking about your employment situation. I'm talking about forward spouses. The Bible deals with every part of your life, including your marriage, and it all ties together in beauty. Godliness is a character trait to be added to faith to prove eternal life. Thus, look very carefully in verse 19, for conscience toward God. That's godliness. For conscience toward God, you make a choice of how you're going to submit to your marriage, your husband. What is a froward spouse? Well, we've already shown that it's bad and harsh. If we just look in verse 18 and see the contrast there between good and gentle and the word froward. Let me give you an expanded definition. Disposed to go against what is expected or reasonable. Oh, so we've got an unreasonable husband, perverse, difficult to deal with, hard to please, oh, an odious wife, stubborn, obstinate, ungovernable, bad, evilly disposed, rebellious, bad and harsh, difficult, uncooperative, hard to get along with, is forward. Forward is used in the Bible 20 times and 14 times of those are in Proverbs, where the definition is consistent with what I just gave you. Bad and harsh. Before a wife complains, oh, I hope that none of our women are scorners. Because only a scorner would be hasty to say, but verses 18 and 19 are about servants and not about wives. Huh, really? I wish that you had called me earlier in the week so that I wouldn't have wasted so much time. Really? What's the first word of chapter 3? Where we have... That was fast. It was from a husband. Likewise. Because the first six verses of chapter 3 are about wives. Likewise. Like what? like the way you submit to a boss and like the way you submit to government. I've got 10 comparisons that line them up perfect and they'll take too much time for me to go through them unless I just read them to you. Likewise. Now, what's the first word of verse 7 which is about men? Likewise. Now, is the likewise in verse 7, all this has been taught before in great detail and it's on our website in the expository outlines of First and Second Peter. The likewise for wives means that the honor and the fear and the subjection and the submission that you owe your husband, even an unconverted husband, which is the one described here in verses 1 and 2, is comparable and similar to submitting to a boss that's forward and submitting to civil government. Now, when it comes to likewise in verse 7, 
The likewise is not how to submit because husbands don't submit to wives. The likewise is you have rules also from heaven governing your conduct towards your wife. And it was, that distinction is within the word likewise and it was taught before. The rule is, here's the rule. Human relations involve sinners. So there will always be hurtful events in which you can show godliness. Human relations involve sinners. The best marriage is two sinners spending a lot of time with each other, seeing each other at their strong moments and their weak moments. And we're talking about marriage. Human relations involve sinners, so there will always be hurtful events to both parties to show godliness. You cannot show godliness or Christian character when the other person in a relationship is good. You'll say, well, then I'm a good wife. I just run around and keep the house nice and keep him happy. He's already happy. You're not doing anything. No, you need something bad to pop up. And if you'll wait five minutes, it usually will. I don't mean something big that's big and bad, just bad. Some little fault you're going to be able to see that you're going to be able to overlook to be a great Christian. The, con- the bottom line of this is for us to go home and be the- have the best marriage as possible. The bottom line of this is for us to have marriages that prove that we are children of God and have eternal life. This is a relationship that God has a great deal to say about in the Bible. And so we want to follow his rules. There's no relationship quite like marriage for its constant, intimate, and personal work together of two people. Every spouse is forward sometimes, which is that golden opportunity for the other spouse to have a conscience to glorify God. You all swore in marriage covenants that your duties are not altered by a spouse's faults or failures. Do you remember that clause in your covenant? I promise before God and these witnesses that when my spouse fails in their commitments by this marriage covenant, it doesn't excuse me from my obligations to this covenant. And it doesn't. Grow up, please. Why live in an emotional fantasy world and let ordinary faults upset your life? They shouldn't. They're going to happen. It's part of, and it's exciting. I don't always think and feel that way, and I don't always say that I'm excited. But when we're looking at God's Word and we're trying to straighten ourselves out, we should say, that's an opportunity. That's an opportunity for me to be a glorious husband or for me to be a glorious wife because that just hurt me that just disappointed me and I'm not going to get bitter I'm going to love them back I'm going to love them more I'm going to make it hurt I'm going to love them so much you say is that scriptural oh yeah yes it's scriptural you want to heap a, you want to heap coals of fire on their head and you want to overcome evil with good Froward husbands and odious wives are not my target. Women married to froward husbands, which is every woman in here, from time to time, and men married to odious wives, which is not always true, but from time to time, they're my target. Okay? So I'm not preaching about how not to be an odious wife. I'm, t- I'm, talking, I'm preaching to the men how to love your odious wife. I am not preaching about how husbands can be good and gentle. 
They may get that in 80 hours from right now. All you women keep that in mind. In 80 hours, the men meet with me right here without you. Just keep that in mind. Everyone has bad days for all are sinners. Even Paul was cast down, he tells us. Everyone says things they regret. Even David, he records it in Psalms. Even Paul in Acts chapter 23, when he called the high priest a whitewashed sepulcher and he got smacked around for it and he said, I didn't know that he was the high priest. I mean, listen, things happen. Why do you take it personally? Women, why do you take it personally? Grow some skin, overlook it, forget it, for, and love them. Husbands, why do you take it personally? Marriage is under attack in 2020 America, so for God's glory and the truth's sake, let our marriages be perfect. Amen. Okay. Now, when you look at 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 1, it says, Likewise, ye wives. I hope that all of you women understand that that word likewise is there to tell you that in addition to the six verses that start out chapter 3, the verses about civil authority and the verses about submitting to a boss apply to you so that you can get a fuller, broader picture of things. Very quickly. Does 1 Peter 2, 13, I'm going to start at 13. Submit yourself to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake. Do you know what it says to wives in the Bible? Wives, submit yourself to every, submit yourselves unto your own husbands in everything. Does that sound familiar to this? Submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands in everything. As unto the Lord. Does it does it say that in Ephesians 5, 24 and 22, someplace? It fits perfect. That's one comparison. I'm, not gonna, I'm just going to forget the other nine. It's absolutely flawless. The reason that likewise is there, this church is committed to every word of God. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. And the word likewise right there is the perfect word to start out chapter 3 and the six verses about wives because what's already been taught is fantastic material to help you be the best wife possible. Because it says wonderful things like verse 13. It says wonderful things like 18 and 19. It says wonderful things like 21 through 23 that say Jesus already gave us an example for those under authority. Your husband's under authority as soon as he goes to work tomorrow morning. Your husband's under authority 24-7 to our government. Jesus has taught us how to do it. Let's do it his way. I love the comparisons, and I love being able to prove the likewise to be a very wise word, but I need to move on. Let's look at 3, 1 through 6. Likewise, ye wives, be in subjection to your own husbands, that if any husband is what's under consideration, obey not the word, they also may without the word be won by the conversation of the wives while they behold your chaste conversation coupled with fear. And it says down in verse 5, For after this manner in the old time, the holy women also who trusted in God, and this is who you should be trusting, in God, to take care of you in your marriage, adorned themselves, being in subjection unto their own husbands, even as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters ye are, as long as ye do well, and are not afraid with any amazement. Look at verse 20 of chapter 2. This is just, I just, I'm cheating. 
This is one of the ten points of comparison. Notice in the second half of the verse it says, If, when ye do well and suffer for it, ye take it patiently, this is acceptable with God. But there in verse 6, If you call your husband's Lord, in this example of Sarah with Abraham, whose daughters ye are, as long as ye do well. That means doing it God's way with your husband. What can we summarize out of these verses? Wives are to submit to their own husbands, not any other husband or any other idea of a husband. They are to submit to their own husbands. And that is so simple and so obvious, so powerful and weighty. Because you picked him out of the entire population of planet Earth. He must be head and shoulders better than anyone else anywhere. Unbelievable that you can ever criticize your husband when you chose him. Unbelievable. Well, he wasn't the man that he was. That Yes, he is. Are you kidding? You just didn't ask. These Christian wives right here in chapter 3 were to submit to their pagan, unbelieving, worldly husbands. These Christian wives were to be faithful and loyal and fear their husbands properly. Because that's the context. Well, they behold, in verse 2, these, these husbands that are not converted, that need to be converted, they don't obey the Bible, while they behold your chaste conversation coupled with fear, you wives doing well will cause them to wonder about their lack of faith and the, what faith produces in the wife. Like Sarah and other Old Testament women, they were to submit and reverently obey their husbands, as Sarah did and other holy women. The conduct of the husband. This is the whole lesson. The conduct of the husband is as irrelevant to our obedience and honor to that authority as to civil rulers or to pagan worldly employers. That doesn't change anything. There's no perfect husband. Children, obey your parents as long as they are letting you do whatever you want to, get you a cell phone at six years of age and let you watch television all night long and eat nothing but corn puffs. That's how women wish the Bible was written and that's how they act sometimes. No, it's children obey your parents as it is fit in the Lord. There's no qualification. I get written all the time. You know our proverb commentaries provoke people around the world. And they write and say, this week, last 24 hours, I read what you've written about honoring parents, and I know it's God's commandment, but what about a narcissistic parent? Oh, are you kidding me? What does that have to do with your submission and honor to your parent? That's, that's the complaint. You say, why are you going off on that? Because I want all the women to think about the fact that there's no, quali there's no qualification in here that says, wives, submit yourselves to your husbands only when they're good and gentle. But when they're bad and harsh and they call you a name or they say what you fix for supper is unacceptable and they'd rather have a double quarter pounder with cheese, they can call me. I'll take the bun off. That that bothers you. Why does that get under your skin? Don't let it get under your skin. What's going to happen 
if President Trump loses the election? We've been through this a few times. Are we going to cheerfully grin and bear it? Amen. Yeah, we are. That was just the thought, not the man or the office. Just the thought of it happening. Lord, help us. Conduct of the husbands is as irrelevant as civil rulers or pagan worldly employers. It doesn't change what the wife owes her husband. Wives must fear, honor, reverence without answering again. That's what the Bible teaches. All treatment is tolerated and all wishes obeyed cheerfully until the wife is asked to sin. There is no Baptist conservative church like ours that has so much protection in place for the woman as this church. If you do not understand that, you have not listened over time. There is a written outline and there is a slide presentation entitled, What If Your Husband's a Fool? And it tells you exactly what to do. No one understands the principles of mercy and the principles of intent when it comes to marriage, divorce, and remarriage, like this church does by the grace of God and Jesus Christ. But because your husband is forward, doesn't even give you a 1% chance of thinking about divorce. That's threatening. Jesus could have threatened, but he didn't threaten. Just because your husband is a little forward at times, just because my wife knows her husband is a little forward at times, doesn't give her even a 1% chance to think about divorce. It's for much more significant reasons than that. We wouldn't defy our government until our government requires us to disobey God. We wouldn't defy an employer until that employer asks us to disobey God. Jesus is a perfect example. Here's a few laws of Scripture of nature and of experience where some wives fail. I can't elaborate on these. I hope you can just listen to them and think about them. I'll try to read them slowly and maybe comment very, very briefly. No spouse is perfect or actually even close to being perfect. So any desire or expectation of perfection is ludicrous. You're living in a fantasy world. I wish that your husband would give my wife and me permission to come over and burn your harlequin romances. Because you're living by harlequin. I wish we could come over and burn your Nicholas Sparks DVDs. Because you're living by Nicholas Sparks. If you don't know who the two people are that I just mentioned, that's okay. You're better off than I am with those pieces of knowledge. God nor we care what your spouse does to you. He and we care what you're going to do to your spouse. You say, don't you care at all about how I'm treated? You haven't heard the rest of the sermon, and you're not going to be here in 80 hours. We preach the whole counsel of God, and we preach it in a very balanced way. How many odious husbands are there mentioned in Proverbs? In its 915 verses, how many verses are about odious husbands? None. How many are about odious and contentious wives? Many. Until a man orders or expects his wife herself to sin, his sins are between him and God. God didn't give you as a second conscience to your husband. It's folly after courting, dating, and signing a covenant and promising a covenant's terms to criticize the spouse that you yourself chose. I've already said that once. I wanted to get it in twice at least. 
Perspective can help any woman by thinking of husbands worse than hers. But do you know what they like to do? Think of husbands better than hers. Oh, no, 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 no. No, no, no. You want that, you want your husband comparing your body to another woman's body? Then stop comparing your husband to another husband that you think is nice because he's nice in public. When he's not in public, he's Jack the Ripper. Jack the Ripper was nice in public during the daytime. Think. It's perspective. I can think about any woman and know that I have a better one. So that's how I know this point in my outline, by experience. And I hope all of you are saying the same thing about your wives. And and wives, did you just understand what I said? Think about husbands that are worse than yours, that you can appreciate yours. Didn't you tell your children that what you're leaving on your plate would feed a whole village in India because you're comparing how good they have it to how poorly others have it, and that makes us thankful so that you should eat your food and finish, and finish your food. This is just all basic, basic, and it's all laid out right here for us. And these are the things that I've heard and I'm trying to correct right now. When examining your marriage, all that matters is how you measure up to the Bible. Stop trying to measure your spouse. And right now, I am speaking to women. The men have their section, if I get done in time. If I don't get to the men in time, I will get to the men in time. You just won't be here. That's the third time I've warned them and you about Wednesday. Just think through this with me. When, when you're examining your marriage, when you're examining your marriage, how profitable is it for you women to think about where your husband fails in his marriage covenant? What good does that do? What is, what is the profit to that? There is none. It stirs you up and it makes you bitter. That is why those things come up in your mind is because you're bitter. You should only be thinking, am I the wife that God tells me to be in the Bible? And that is why I am dealing with this hard aspect of marriage so that you can, okay, okay, that's what I should be thinking about. I shouldn't be thinking about him. I, sh- I should be thinking about me. And if I'm honest and I measure myself by Proverbs 31 and all the other verses in Proverbs about difficult women and brawling women and why men love going to work and working overtime to stay away from my nagging mouth, if I were to think about all those things, there'd be lots that I can improve on. And that's what you should do. It is so dangerous to ever listen to another person say one word about their spouse. You'll never get that from me. You will never be allowed to come to me and tell me about your spouse because I'm going to put you right in your place. What are you doing toward your spouse? Because that's all that matters when the conversation is between you and me. And when you are alone, woman, when you're alone, wife, the only conversation you should be having with the Lord is, Lord, perfect that which is lacking in my character and my conduct toward my husband. You are not his authority. You are not his second conscience. He stands before God and God will take care of him. God says right here in verse 7, he won't hear his prayers if he deals badly and harshly with you. 
if he does not honor you as his wife, if he does not recognize and remember that you are an equal heir in Jesus Christ, his prayers are not hindered. And you know I've taught you more than that one verse. I've taught you in Malachi 2 and verse 13 that God sees your tears, whether they're actual tears or internal tears, at his altar. And when he sees a woman's tears at his altar because her husband is harsh, moody, critical, negative, difficult to get along with, otherwise froward, he remembers, he sees all that, and he'll punish. i got to get off that because I'm back on you women. I just don't forget the whole counsel of God. The whole counsel. When examining your marriage, all that matters is how you measure up to the Bible. Keep it that way. Women, emotion can be a fault. Emotion, when it's directed by faith and it's directed by love, is a wonderful thing. I mean, it puts a dance in your step. It puts light in your eyes, a smile on your face. It gives you wonderful energy. Emotion is terrific when it is driven by faith and love, not the other way around. Never let emotion tell you what you should be thinking about your husband. Then emotion is childish. It leads to discouragement, overreaction, despair. It's infantile. Don't let emotion rule you. You rule emotion and, and you direct it. Do you know how you can direct emotion? Go invest in your husband. Go invest in your husband and be a great woman and a great lover. Every woman knows how to do it. That's how you got them. Go do it again and emotion will come. Every man should know that as well. Perspective, ladies, can help by thinking of all the imperfect authority in your life, including you. Every woman that's old enough to hear this this way has children. Have you been a perfect mother to those children as measured by the Bible? I don't care compared to your mama. I mean compared to the Bible. Have you been a perfect mother? No, you haven't. So why don't you give your husband a little rope? So what if your husband calls you a name? Doesn't it say here that Jesus was reviled, but when he was reviled, he reviled not again? Didn't you teach your children? I was taught as a little child. Sticks and stones will break your bones, but names will never hurt you. Why do you let a name get under your skin? You say, well, a Christian husband shouldn't ever call his wife a name. A Christian wife should not ever let name calling bother her. So what do we do now? Go to divorce court? God will deal with your man. Grow up. Can you imagine a private writing home to mama? The same kind of mama that would reason that way. Mama, my drill sergeant called me a name. What would mama say to him? Grow up. And if she's wise, she would say, it's going to get a whole lot worse, son. This is first week. He's being nice. I'm not trying to be funny. I'm trying to be balanced with truth that can hurt. And you shouldn't let it hurt. Fighting or resisting does no good but further stirs up anger. Why can't they understand that? You want to yap back? You just made everything worse in your marriage. Why? Why? If the private yapped back at the drill sergeant, what happens to private? He's digging a six by six by six hole with a dull shovel, and then he fills it in again. 
because he yapped back to a drill sergeant. You say, well, my husband's not a drill sergeant. He's my loving man. Then why are we having this discussion? Do you know that the Bible says that a prince's bones can be broken by a soft tongue? That's right. Then why do you want a, a quick one? <clears throat> Women, quick one. Why do you want to do that? The Bible says a soft answer turneth away wrath. The Bible says even a prince, you can break his bones by a soft tongue. And yielding can pacify offenses. It's the Bible's wisdom of the book of Proverbs. It's why I write them and send them to you every day. Instead of bitterness, fighting, or revenge, why not overcome his evil by more love? I'm going to love that out of him. He was a little harsh, and even in front of the children, but I'm going to love it out of him. I'm going to ignore it, and I'm going to show him more love before he's asleep tonight. That's what I'm going to do, because I think that's what the Lord would want me to do, and you're absolutely right. That's what the Lord would want you to do. A meek and quiet spirit is of great price to God, not a questioning, resisting spirit. Oh, that's the two verses that I skipped. I skip verses 3 and 4 in chapter 3 because it says that a meek and quiet spirit is in the sight of God of great price. Do you want to have great value in the sight of God whose, whose eyes are going throughout the whole earth beholding the evil and the good? A meek and quiet spirit, not a resisting spirit, not a questioning spirit. How many of your husbands go to work and everything that their, husband, that their bosses ask them to do, they want to question it? Why? 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 What's going to happen? They're going to be home with you. Then you can have more time with them. Because they don't. They have to put up with that. They have to put up with being told something to do, and they don't always ask why. Because they've learned that little verse that's over in Titus chapter 2, verses 9 and 10, not answering again. And it's hard. You say, Pastor, I can remember some stories about you answering again when you were at the bank. I have told you some, of, some bad tales. But do you know why I could get away with that? Do you know why I could get away with calling down the president of the bank in a meeting? Because every other time, I did whatever they wanted with zeal like they had never seen before. And so they overlooked their little, once in a while, disrespectful financial adjunct don't think about me. Think about you. Perspective helps by knowing that only submission to a froward man counts with God. I've said that enough times. That's the rule. That's the whole lesson. That's all I've got for you. Only when you get to submit to a froward husband who's hurt you, who's offended you, who's disappointed you, can you really show that you're a real child of God and a Christian. You know, in the Bible, it tells us how to love our enemies. How do we love our enemies? Does it say, do good to them? Does it say that? We're not even talking about marriage. But sometimes is your spouse your enemy? Let's be real. Sometimes our spouse is our enemy in that little, our feelings are hurt. So they're our enemy. So what do we do for them? It says, do good to them that despitefully use you. Perfect language. I just love it. Pray for them that despitefully use you. Bless them that curse you. Oh, you got called a name. Then bless them back. I think you're the greatest. What will that do to a man? 
That'll hurt him at a level that you can't even see. There's only one way to do things. It's this way, the Bible way. When the Bible says, I'm not off that other one. Love your enemies. Bless them that curse you. Do good to them that despitefully use you. And whatever else it says in there that I've lost at the moment, do you know what that passage concludes with? That ye may be the children of your Father which is in heaven. Right. Do you know how you prove you're a child of God? It's the way you treat your enemies. It's the way you treat someone who's hurt you. It's the way you treat someone who's offended you. That's how you prove you're a child. You cannot do it with some friend. How do you prove that you're a child of God with a friend? Well, I bought his ice cream for him. The Lord isn't moved by it. He's looking for something bigger in the way of sacrifice. It's the, if the Bible says it's the glory of a person to pass over a transgression. What does it say if you can't pass over that transgression? It is the glory of a man to pass over transgression, Proverbs 19.11. What does it say about you when you can't pass over, but you think on it, it gets under your skin, it bothers you? You're not glorious. I want you women to be glorious. Charity or love bears all things and endures all things. How far does that go? Bears all things, endures all things. Why is it called bear? Because it's a weight, it's a trouble. Why is it called endure? Because it hurts. So you've got a forward husband from time to time. Every husband's going to be forward from time to time. When will you learn charity and not let it bother you? Perspective, I've already mentioned that one. Marriage is final. Even thinking of escape is sin. The thought of foolishness is sin. Proverbs 24 and verse 9. Love the one you're with. It's so easy. We're stuck. We're stuck biblically, so love the one you're with. It's one of my favorite ways of looking at marriage. And I can't tell the story because I sure would like to, and it would take me from now until the time to quit. Of two people being marooned on an island because an airplane crashed, and you got a man and a woman stuck on that island, they would learn how to get along with each other, no matter how incompatible they were when they first landed. They would learn for necessity's sake and because there is no other opportunity to get along with each other for their mutual survival and the mutual survival would turn into mutual pleasure by being with each other and investing each other to survive. They were arranged marriages in the Old Testament. You didn't even get to pick who you were going to be married to many times. They were arranged marriages and those arranged marriages worked out just fine. Unhappy persons in a marriage would be unhappy in another marriage if they had someone else, or they've already been unhappy in marriages before this one because they're just unhappy people that are bitter and complain about the person they're married to. Even if you married foolishly, God allowed your folly, so grin and bear your choice and love the man, love the one you're with. Because God in his providence covers all of our mistakes, doesn't it? God in his providence covers all of our wisdom and it covers all of our folly. It covers all of our haste He's aware, he's aware of all that. It's all, it's all on the chessboard for him, and it's no big problem. And so he's told you the way out, and the way out is to grin and bear it and love the one you're married to. Start loving her today. Start loving him today, more than you have before. Some wives in our church are queens of glory for cheerfully serving difficult husbands with grace. God knows and sees it. 
Perspective helps by knowing your husband submits day after day to a forward boss. A virtuous woman will do her husband good and not evil all the days of her life. It is selfish. Listen carefully. It is selfish, self-righteous, proud, and immature women that want to change their husbands. Your job is not to change your husband. Your job is to change you to be the kind of wife that your husband deserves and needs that would please God in heaven. Any woman that gets married to change her husband or any woman that is already married to her husband and thinks she's going to change him, you are going down the wrong path. It will not work. We don't take a job because we think we're going to change the boss. We take a job because we think the boss offers us enough that we can work hard for him. You have chosen your husband. Don't try to change him. Learn how to adapt to him and love him the way he is. There is no perfect husband. The man's text. Verse 7. Likewise, ye husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. Likewise here means that there are rules for the man in marriage as well. Men, God's best creation in Genesis was a woman. I don't really care about the greater light or the lesser light. They're neat. I look at a sunrise. I appreciate it. It kisses me and I feel the hug of the warmth of the sun. But oh, woman is so much better. I'm so glad that God didn't quit with the sun and the moon. I'm so glad he created the woman. But only his rules maximize the pleasure of that woman. Only doing it his way. Since God created her for you, and that's what the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 11:9, then his rules are clearly in your best interest. That's how we look at the Bible, and it, it motivates us. Since God gave the woman to the man, his rules are also for her protection and rest in marriage. This is so true that God sees every woman's legitimate tears, legitimate tears. Let me say that a third time, legitimate tears. If you're crying because you're a little emotional and infantile, and you have thin skin because you don't know how to deal with life, then God doesn't see your tears. He considers your tears rebellion against your husband. I said legitimate tears. Legitimate tears where you have loved your husband the way the Bible tells you to love your husband and you never make any progress with him. Or he does something wicked. Do you know, where the, do you know what the example is in the Bible where it says that God sees the tears in Malachi 2.13? The example is those Jewish husbands ignoring and neglecting and leaving their wives to marry foreign pagan babes. That's Malachi 2.13. See, those kind of tears count. The little stuff like, he hurt my feelings because when he took the gravy boat, okay, thank you. When he took the gravy boat in the first month of marriage and looked at it and realized that that liquid looked sort of solid-like, and tipped it over, she handled it just fine. It wasn't the wisest thing to do for a newlywed couple. I asked, am I supposed to slice it and lay it on the potatoes? A light moment, because we're, you know, our marriages are all the time. <laughs> I gotta go home with her in just a few minutes. She's great at gravy now. She, she even makes some of that white stuff that you people call gravy. 
Listen, my mother was an English woman. She had never seen white gravy in her life. She never ate white gravy. Well, toward the end, she did. She liked it. Men, men, the woman's a responder like a flower. God's loving rules are like sunshine and rain. If you do what the Bible tells you to do, and that, that what the Bible tells you to do is in Proverbs 5.19 and Colossians 3.19. Proverbs 5.19, let her be as the loving hind and pleasant roe. Let her breast satisfy thee at all times, and be thou ravished always with her love. Colossians 3.19, husbands, love your wives, and be not bitter against them. Two great verses in the Bible for every man. If you will learn to cherish and nourish your wife, like the Bible describes in the latter part of Ephesians chapter 5, you are the sunshine, the rain that can make her happier than she's ever been before. They are a responder, and it doesn't take very long if you'll do it the Bible way. Any male fool can win some woman, but wise men can keep that woman growing and happier than ever. Where the gospel is gone, women enjoy the best lives, and they should consider that. The gospel of Christianity is a wonderful thing. Dwelling with a woman right here in this verse, likewise ye husbands dwell with them. Dwelling with a woman is everything involved in day-to-day -day marital activities. God sees and hears everything, men. What no one else sees or hears is recorded above in heaven. The eyes of the Lord are in every place, beholding the evil and the good. Remember that at all times. What you do and what you say towards your wife, God hears. The Bible says that we're not even to curse the king, no, not even in our thoughts. Ecclesiastes 10.20 Dwelling with her is not a partnership or a roommate idea. It is your loving leadership because it's God's idea of marriage that is con condensed right here in one verse. Likewise, ye husbands, dwell with them. That means be the loving leader that God made you to be for her. Knowledge. Dwell with them according to knowledge. Knowledge here governs your conduct. Your conduct is not by feelings. Your conduct is not by circumstances. Your conduct is not by lust. Your conduct is not by reaction. Your conduct is by knowledge. And the knowledge that is given here is threefold knowledge. Knowledge point number one, honor her as the weaker vessel. Don't make fun of her as the weaker vessel. Don't criticize her as the weaker vessel. Don't put too much upon her because she is the weaker vessel. Give her honor. What is honor? Well, honor is what you give a king back there in chapter two. You know, but this is, this is honor toward a wife. Under, this is respect. This is leniency. This is gentleness. This is kindness. This is approval of her when she is doing her reasonable best. And so the, the second point of knowledge that a husband is supposed to use in his marriage is that you are equal heirs of the grace of life. Right. There's three things. In, Likewise, ye husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge. One, give honor to her as the weaker vessel. Not make fun of her or push her around because she's weaker. Two, because you're heirs together of the grace of life in heaven, she's not going to be under your authority. In Christ considered, she is equal to you, totally equal to you. Third, your prayers and your relationship with God Almighty is in trouble when you mistreat your wife. So you better treat her according to knowledge, remembering those three things of knowledge. And those three points will change a man's life. Let me say them again. Honor her as the weaker vessel. Two, you are equal in Christ. Three, you're in trouble. With God, if you mistreat her, she is his daughter, on loan to you for just a few years. Honor is to respect her, esteem her, admire her, approve her, and gentleness toward her. Honor does not include your silent treatment, moods, yelling, hitting, sarcasm, or comparisons. 
The greatest marital benefits that you can ever have, men, cannot be forced. They have to be won, and it requires honor. You cannot force a woman's submission. Oh, yes, I can, some foolish man says. Oh, no, no, no. You're just getting outward compliance. Her heart is doing things to you that I'm not going to say in a mixed assembly. I would, I would reserve them for a men's meeting. You cannot force it. You don't want to have to force a woman. You want to win her. Then she's doing it of her own will. And the passion that a woman can generate for a man is, is fantastic. But you've got to win it. And you win it by those three things. Honor, and they're equals in Christ, and you're in trouble if you don't. That, that gets the point across to me. Honor works. Dishonor gets me punished. So that should be simple. Did you hear this before, men? No spouse is perfect or actually even close, so any desire or expectation is ludicrous. While I was preaching that to the women about you, you liked it. Now I'm preaching it to you about your wife. Right. No spouse is perfect or actually even close, so any desire or expectation of perfection is ludicrous. Amen. God nor we care what your spouse does to you. I'm talking to men. He and we care what you're going to do to your wife. It's folly after courting, dating, and a marriage covenant to criticize the spouse you yourself chose. She's the one you chose. If you have an odious wife, you are the manager of conflict resolution, so lovingly lead her out of her habits. Lovingly lead her out of her habits. God has forbidden you to be bitter against your wife, including her faults. Colossians 3.19 Now, men, you liked it when I said that no matter how he treats you until he asks you to disobey God, you should submit to it. Now it's the roles reversed. And the Bible says, be not bitter against them, and there's no qualification. Right. It's not be not bitter against them until they hurt your feelings, until they disappoint you, until they make gravy that can be sliced. That is such a little thing. That's why I used it. Do you think I cared? <coughs> kind of wife I had? I didn't care what kind of gravy she made. Why the warning about bitterness, men? Think, think about it. Why the warning about bitterness? Because she's going to disappoint you, just like you disappoint your wife. But you can't be bitter. You love her without bitterness. You forget all those things, and you just look at all the good things that she is and that she does. And we have some great women in this church. We have a fantastic collection of women in this church. Why the warning of odious or contentious wives? Why so much about odious and contentious wives in the book of Proverbs? Because they often get their man. Because they know how to fake it before they get married. And the Bible says that. So embrace it. You got one. She got you. So embrace it and win her and lead her out of her bad habits. You wish your wife was different? Wisely win her to it. Change her by leading love. If you have a problem in your marriage, the buck stops with you, so fix it for your benefit. If your wife is not what she was like when you were dating her, get out a mirror and examine yourself. You changed her. Now, what's the bottom line? All spouses, let's go home and make our calling and election sure by, by delighting God with our marriages. All I wanted you to do today, from God's Word, is to know all human relationships are sinners trying to get along with each other. 
there's going to be disappointment, frustration, hurt, offense, and pain in any relationship, especially in marriage where we are so close with each other and so intimate and so personal and so many hours of conduct, seven days a week. That's going to be there. So we each get wonderful opportunities to show God we've been saved, we've been changed, and we are going to love that spouse anyway and forgive and forget all that stuff. That's, that's the lesson. And when we do that, we make our calling and election sure because we're adding godliness to our faith. Amen. Godliness is because of conscience toward God, I will not let this matter bother me. I will love my husband. I will love my wife. May the Lord bless the preaching of his word. Amen. Please stand with me.